Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just a little bit of helpful advice for you. If you, for whatever reason, ever want to perform the miracle of turning water into slightly red water, make sure that the cap to the red food dye doesn't leak before you stick it in your pants pocket. The more you know. I'm sure it wasn't this way when you were growing up, but as I was growing up, this church stuff was serious business. Children's sermons were too silly for Sunday morning. You don't laugh in church. You don't have fun in church. This is serious business what we do here. The reaction to church was, wow, that was so boring. Do I really have to go again next Sunday, Mom? Now, I know that no one has ever had that reaction to worship here at Prairie Hill, at least not in the last six and a half years while I've been pastor. But maybe it was that way once upon a time, and you might be familiar with that sort of reaction. Because it seems so often that the rite of holy baptism also includes a rite for the removal of the funny bone that once we are baptized, we know, we understand that we have to be very serious about what we do in this place. That this is serious business. That children, that sometimes adults, need to be scolded for making too much noise in church, or for being rowdy in church, or for having the wrong attitude in church. Because this is church, and this is no place for fun. Religion is serious stuff, and religious people are serious people. Many of you know that I come from a long line of Church people, of religious people. And not just church people, super church people, uber church people. Pastors' families. My grandfather once told me a story about the house that he grew up in, in my great-grandfather's house. And you see, there were a bunch of crazy, radical liberals in my great-grandfather's house, and my great-great-uncle, himself a serious church person and a pastor, disapproved greatly. Because on Sunday evenings, Grandpa and his brothers and his sister were allowed to play board games. And not just board games, board games with dice. The horror. That was pushing the limits of the Lutheran world at that time. Board games with dice. Way too much fun for serious people. Way too much fun for Jesus people. It must be a sin. Does that sound familiar? We're serious about this church stuff. And then, and then along comes Jesus and this very first miracle, this first sign of the Gospel of John. And it's at a party. The wedding at Cana. And weddings at time, that time. Weddings at that time, they last for three and four and five days. That's a party. Three, four, five days, and in the middle of this huge party, the worst thing that could happen does. Every wedding planner's nightmare. They run out of booze. There's no more wine. 
They run out of wine, and so Jesus, at his mother's suggestion, Jesus does something about it. You've heard the gospel lesson that I just read. Jesus has them bring out these stone jars. Jars that, if you noticed, are used for important, serious religious stuff. Jars that hold the water for the ritual purifications. Jesus has them bring these jars to him. Did you catch, as I was reading, how much the jars held? Yeah, 20 to 30 gallons, that's right. Think about that for a minute. 20 to 30 gallons per jar. Jesus takes these jars full of 20 to 30 gallons each and he turns them into wine. That is 180 gallons of wine. Now good, serious church folks will tell you that alcohol is okay but only in moderation. Don't have too much fun. 180 gallons of wine that Jesus made that day. Now, if you're like me, that, that number might not mean too much. So let me do a little math for you. That works out to a grand total of 908. 908 bottles of wine. Now that's a party. I mean, I just got married. I just hosted a wedding. And we bought a lot of wine for that wedding. We still have leftover wine. All these months later. And we did not buy 908 bottles of wine. We would be drinking it for the next 10 years if we had, at least. Or here in Washington County, we might use another sort of figure, another sort of measurement. That works out to about 12 kegs worth of wine. 12 kegs worth of wine, 908 bottles worth of wine. Now that, friends, that's a party. The story goes that an Italian family moved into the area near where I grew up, near North Georgia. A place where they are very religious on the whole and very serious about it. In fact, a recent survey named Chattanooga, Tennessee is the third most Bible-minded city in the country, whatever Bible-minded means. So this Italian decides that North Georgia, there in the hills, has the perfect climate for growing grapes. And he tries to get a permit to open a winery. And he's denied again and again and again. He's denied and he's confused. He goes to the council of the town and he asks them, why do you not drink wine? Did not Jesus turn water into wine? But that just made all those serious church people mad. Of course not, they said. Jesus turned water into grape juice, into unfermented grape juice. And this went on and on for quite some time, until finally the head of the town council spoke up. I do believe, he said, I do believe that Jesus turned water into wine, since, you know, grape juice wasn't invented until much later. I do believe that Jesus turned water into wine, and quite frankly, I've always been disappointed in Jesus about that. Serious church people have a problem with this Jesus. I mean, this Jesus, the Jesus of the wedding at Cana, seems to like a party. Jesus saves the party. This is essentially... The wedding of Cana is the greatest beer run in history, right? He goes and he gets more alcohol, more wine to keep the party going longer. 
And not just a little party, not just a little bit of fun. Jesus likes a great big whole party with a whole lot of fun. And we get our hands on it. We get our hands on this Jesus who likes a great big party and we turn it into, here we go to church again this Sunday because, you know, I have to. How did we make that jump? How? How did we get from Jesus' great big party to, here we go to church again because we have to. If we believe even a little bit what we say about Jesus, if we even remotely believe what God has done for us and continues to do for us, how do we ever stop smiling? I had a mentor, a sort of adopted grandparent when I was in high school named Mike Spivey. And and Mike once said to me, "David, David, don't trust anyone who doesn't smile when they're walking away from that table up there. Because you can't know what God has done for you at that table and frown. It's not possible. How do we, good religious church people, how do we become people who walk through life frowning, scowling, when we know about the great love that God has for us? I don't understand. We use words. In this place, we use words like rejoice and joy. And and Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. But we really only use them for church stuff, don't we? There are people, some serious church people, who would rather we didn't. But we could translate those words as happy. Be happy, says St. Paul. Be happy in the Lord. As you walk through this life in all circumstances, be happy Have a smile. It's okay. Enjoy these great gifts. Enjoy this life that God has given to us. Laugh. Have a good time. And yes, sometimes even roll out the stone barrels with 180 gallons of wine and throw a party. It's okay. It's okay to have a good time. You don't have to hide your beer when the pastor shows up at a wedding party. Not that any of you have ever done that. This life and everything in it is a great gift to you from God. A gift of love. And gifts are meant to be enjoyed. Gifts are meant to be used and enjoyed. Stop and think about what God has done for you. Stop and think about the blessings that God has given to you. Stop and think about what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And smile. And then remember back to the gospel this morning. Think a little bit further how as the guests drank the wine, they they turned and said to the steward, you have saved the best for last. Sometimes when we feel down and out and empty like a stone jar, we can be reminded that our God saves the best for last. 
that at the end of it all, like another filled jar, Jesus is going to continue to roll out great and amazing things in the most unexpected of ways. Even when it seems like the party is over and everything is done, Jesus has more. I can't wait. I can't wait. Think. Think about how much God has given to you. And then know that God has even better things in store. I've had... I've had a pretty, pretty good life up till now. I've had a pretty good life up to this point. And I can't wait to see what the God who saves the best for last has in store for me next. Because if our God is the God of the wedding at Cana, if our God is the God who saves the best for last, the God who brings out the good stuff at the very end, I can't wait to see what God has in store. I can't help but smile when I think about what God might have in store. The Bible calls it, Bible says that we are to have life and to have it abundantly. Abundantly. Joyfully. Happily. With laughter. With fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to try and sugarcoat the reality of this life. Life is hard. Life can be frustrating and painful and tiring. And yet, and yet, in the middle of all of that, and yet in the middle of all of that, again and again and again and again, Jesus comes into our life and turns the water into our wine. Jesus comes into our life and fills it with joy and with happiness. Jesus comes into our life. And what more could we ask for? What more could we ask for? But there is more. Because our God saves the best for last. And friends, the best is yet to come. Amen.